2: This is a single travel-associated case, not a local emergency. But I can reassure you that even with this Chicago case, the health risk to the general public from novel coronavirus remains low at this
0: time. Welcome to WBBM In-Depth. My name is Jill DeGroote. It's been two years since the long shadow of COVID-19 fell on the world. In a special episode about the day the world stood still, I sit down with WBBM political editor Craig Delamore to talk about the pandemic in review. There were murmurs before the shutdown was announced. Things are feeling a little scary. And we, we didn't know anything.
3: And that was the most frustrating part of it, I think, is that this all developed over real time and i don't think people are used to having something develop slowly and you know you know and i was actually thinking about this it's perhaps that we watch too much television and too many medical dramas where within an hour a problem surfaces people don't understand it then they do and then they take care of it real life isn't like that and i think we were discovering how much real life isn't like that, that doctors don't have all the answers the first time they see these things happen. And so, yes, we had this progression of, we see the cases in in Asia, we see the cases in some cases in Europe with people who have been to Asia, but we were still thinking, okay, we know it's coming, but we will get ready for it. And that wasn't enough, that it wasn't just people getting off a plane from Asia needed to be checked. It was that it was in more places than we thought it was. And I think that's what made it so difficult and perhaps is the problem that continued through its development even to today is people's disbelief that the experts can't get a handle on it. But then if they couldn't get a handle on it, you don't trust anything they say. So that first moment when people heard that, yes, this is going to be so big that we need to basically shut the state down, that hit people like a ton of bricks. And, you know, the government did everything it could. Our governor did everything he could to impress upon people how serious this was. But I think there was always that cadre of people who didn't understand or couldn't accept that it was something that bad because it was just like the flu or seemed to be until we realized it wasn't just like the flu. And there are still people today who think it's just like the flu and only really older people who have poor immune systems die from it, which you know, when you're up around, you know, (laughs) you know, a million people or, you know, millions of people being infected, that's, it's obviously something more.
0: We expect the problem to be identified and solved so quickly. We have this expectation that that's how this should have went. I know too, in the early days, when I think back to it, there was a lot of do I need to disinfect my groceries? Is it mm-hmm. safe to eat takeout? Uh, yeah. Is it safe to be outdoors and ride my bike? What kind of masks? I, I mean, you couldn't get masks early on. So then mm-hmm. it was making masks at home. And
3: But remember, during that time, it was a matter of feeling our way through it. Uh, remember that uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot shut down the lakefront. And... You know, that seemed like an extreme step at one point because people were used to walking outdoors, but the lakefront at that time could be very crowded. And they were actually getting cases from crowds that were spreading. So, you know, the mayor took that step, but you had a lot of people who were skeptical, but you also had a lot of people who really didn't want to be in crowds. So you started getting that split early on of people who didn't take it seriously. Remember, one of the things that kept happening was that even during the, uh, the lockdown that the city had to go and answer calls about parties going on and you would find a house crowded with people unmasked, and in fact, they were doing it in defiance of the lockdown, saying, we're, you're not telling us not to party. So, you know, it even from the very beginning, it it's created a split within society, at least our society, maybe all the way across the country. I don't know if they were having these kinds of problems everywhere, but certainly we know that they were having them in New York. We know that they were having them actually even in Minneapolis where people were gathering in crowds and this is before the demonstrations started so it's it was a, it was always a time of a little bit of chaos and uncertainty
0: definitely and then of course we had remote learning i was thinking of the cps chicago teachers union strike over some of the covid protocols, remote learning, that has been kind of a Pandora's box. We're seeing now like record numbers of behavioral issues with kids returning to school and uh, more fights now in CPS schools, record numbers of fights. Um, and so to just kind of track that from two years ago when school went remote.
3: I think that the, the school problem uh, is one of the two problems that really showed the um the I guess I'm trying to think of the I have to try and think of the right word, but the disparity within this society, and one of them is is of course basic health care, the fact that. A disproportionate number of the cases were in the African-American and Latino communities showed that there was a difference in health care, basic health care. And that was talked about a lot. But I think what was talked about a little less until it blew up was what was happening in education, because it was it seemed easy to be able to say, Well, kids will just stay home and will do things remotely. But then you have to get to the basic problem of who can really stay home. Because if you're doing school remotely, that means you're on a computer with your teacher. And how many students didn't have computers? And yes, the school system Did Actually, the Chicago public school system bought tens of thousands of computers to send home with students. But then you need an internet connection. And how many homes did not have any internet connection, let alone a reliable internet connection, let alone a reliable broadband connection? And so these differences in neighborhoods became stark and so while you might have children on chicago's north side for example who were doing very well under remote and who had parents who also could stay home and supervise you then had the problem of children who were in poorer communities who first had to get if they could internet connections many of them did not which means many of them were not learning and their parents couldn't stay home because guess what they were the essential workers who were needed in the hospitals who were needed in the grocery stores who were needed in the in the factory distribution centers to make sure that everybody got their food to make sure that people got their health care and so those parents had to leave home but there was no daycare. So it was one of those things that just ballooned, and we learned more about that part of society, that part where you have the haves and the have-nots. It was never more pronounced than during this pandemic.
0: Absolutely. I think that rings incredibly true. The other side of the coin is workers' rights issues, people being worked long hours, people not having safe COVID-19 precautions, uh, people not having childcare. I mean, the workers' rights issues have just been totally exposed um, throughout the entirety of this pandemic.
3: Yeah, Um, and if there's anything good that comes out of this, and and believe it or not, there are some good things, but one of them is that this has provided an opportunity for people to re-examine those structures Um, our former mayor, uh, Rahm Emanuel, and I don't know if he coined the phrase, but it's one he became known for saying all the time, and that is, never let a good crisis go to waste. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. that If you're going to have a problem like this, you learn your lessons during this problem and hope that you can take away from it solutions that will help you the next time something like this comes around and for example yes some of the things that we learned during the pandemic the mayor the present mayor Lori Lightfoot is now putting into effect about having basically all departments work on the problem at the same time and and be in contact with each other that is being used to address the crime issue so you know we we learn but we learn with difficulty.
0: Do you have any thoughts about things Chicago did that maybe other cities didn't that you feel proud of?
3: Yeah, um, I think. I think that one of the things that perhaps shone best in this light was the ability of the health care system to respond, I think that you saw more organization, more unity uh, among the hospital systems uh, than I won't say that we that existed before because it was probably there, but that we hadn't seen it before in this kind of a situation. But and I think the hospitals were learning things as they went along. Um, You know, yes, we had some some terrible mess ups. We had hospitals, at least one hospital on, you know, on the west side was, uh, you know, playing favorites with who got the uh, with who got the vaccine. But you also had hospitals that were helping each other out that were, you know, sort of virtually meeting uh, regularly and saying, you know, our beds are getting Full up here and someone else could say well we're near you we will we'll take some of those cases or start sending them our way and we'll we can handle it um, I mean remember they set up that whole uh, unit at uh, the McCormick place uh, with help from the uh, federal government when they thought we were going to completely be overwhelmed by cases and it was not really used uh and people could say, "Oh, it was a waste of money, but you know, if it had been needed, it would have been felt that they so I think the ability for the healthcare care system to uh to come into its own, I think is something that they can be proud of uh and I think first responders you you I don't think there's any way you know. Yes, aside, you know, forget the, you know, uh, firefighters and and mostly police officers who are resisting vaccinations. Be that as it may, at the beginning, those firefighters, th- those paramedics, those police officers were showing up every day. And the the, you know, the hospital workers were showing up every day. And how many stories did we hear about the hospital workers who, when they came home, would not go anywhere near their family members until they had showered, and how careful they were about taking off their their garments, you know before they left work, uh, and how worried they were that someone was going to get sick at home, but they went back to work the next day. so you know, yeah, I think those parts of our system worked really well.
0: Yeah, I I can't help but think about um, the next year and the year after that, and what's gonna continue to unfold. I think a lot about um, anyone I know who was a frontline uh, worker, whether they were in a hospital setting in an emergency room, um, they, are still in like a perpetual crisis mode. I think about mental health services and um, the the psychological toll that this pandemic is gonna take on all of us um, in the years to come. I think uh, I've heard the term used um, too, that this is a a mass disabling event, that there are going to be people with long-term effects that we won't know until till later. So really it comes back to the the frontline workers, the, the people that have no choice but to come back because they're holding the rest of us up. So yeah.
3: Although there are a number of them who aren't coming back, who are leaving the, the business, but I think you brought this up earlier, Jillian. Uh, the children, that is an area where a lot of people are worrying that there are going to be long-term effects and not just because some of these children were not in school for so long and then had to go back to a social situation that some of them had never known and some of them had not gotten used to uh, yet. But also the, uh, the trauma of how many of us know someone who died? How many of us uh, have seen people get sick? Um, that is something that we'll, can stay with young people. And there are groups that are trying to do more to get to the young people and help them. But don't forget, we're talking about a school system that hadn't managed to put nurses in every school and, and having counselors in every school, that they will. I mean, part of the you know, the teacher's conflict over the, and, and there, were, there were like two strikes almost during this, um, was to get more counselors and nurses. They will get more. That's in the contract now. But even with what they're doing and what they can do, are those students going to be okay? And, you know, we've got we've to see.
0: In speaking with Craig, he mentioned a moment from the early pandemic that sticks out in his memory. A statement from Dr. Emily Landon, Associate Professor of Medicine and Executive Medical Director of Infection Prevention and Control at Chicago Medicine, that was made during a press conference in 2020. To close today's episode, I thought I'd share an excerpt from that statement.
2: My son has traded in sports, a science conference and the fifth grade bake sale for puzzles, e-learning and some video chats. This isn't the life any of us expected and certainly there are others who will make much greater sacrifices and there are many more disappointments to come. But this isn't going to be forever, like the governor said. It will last longer than any of us want it to. But in the end, we will look back and see it as just a piece of what happened in our whole lives. And we have to remember that. I've lived in Illinois my entire life. And I know we'll get through this together and find a way back to the life that we used to live. Public health and hospitals have been working hard for a long time And now it's your turn to do your part. A huge sacrifice to make, but a sacrifice that can make thousands of differences, maybe even a difference in your family, too.
0: Thanks for listening to WBBM In-Depth. Don't forget to subscribe on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at WBBM Podcasts.
3: A news radio WBBM podcast powered by Odyssey.
1: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?